With your Bibles open, uh, we're continuing uh, this series that we started three weeks ago called Defining Moments. And, and as you know, over the last several weeks, uh, we are looking into the lives of some, some men and women uh, who had defining moments in their life where it was their walk of faith or a moment of faith that basically changed everything for them. And this morning, I want to introduce you to a, a man, uh, kind of an obscure guy in the Bible whose name is Enoch. And it's a really cool story because Enoch's defining moment of faith was so powerful and so unique that it resulted in him having an experience that only one other person in history has ever experienced. I mean, honestly, this experience was so unique that Enoch not only could be but should be listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. And I don't know how many of you, I grew up with that, enjoyed, loved, I would always go in a bookstore and open those things up because I wanted to see who was doing crazy things out there. But, you know, when you think about the, the Guinness Book of World Records, you might think of a guy like, uh, like old Freddie Knock. And I know we, some of you are afraid of heights. And, but old Freddie here, uh, <clears throat> apparently doesn't have a brain, but he's really brave. He balanced uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on the ropeway of a cable car in the mountains of Germany for 995 meters and lived to tell about it. Or maybe you're like this guy. I mean, think about this guy right here, this Japanese dude with a three-foot... 8.6-inch mohawk, tallest mohawk in the world. That's pretty cool. And, but one of my favorites uh, is recently, uh, there's a show on TV, and it's also a YouTube sensation called Dude Perfect. And these guys broke a record for the greatest height from which a basketball has been shot. Watch this. That's ridiculous. You can't even do that, Mike Marblestone. That's amazing right there. But, but you know, <laughs> says he doesn't have video. But, you know, we don't, we don't have a YouTube clip from, from what happened to Enoch. But I want to tell you something. It was definitely a Guinness Book moment. But, so I want to take a, a, just a look at, this, at what Hebrews says about this guy's story. It says in verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. In other words, because of his faith, Enoch lived a life that was so pleasing to God that God just snatched him up before he could experience death. I mean, literally, the man cheated death. The only other person to actually pull this off was the Old Testament prophet Elisha. Now, the obviously, and we're hoping, there has to be a story behind the story, right? Because this situation is, is just way too intriguing to just kind of speculate or guess as to what happened here. Well, fortunately, God does give us a little bit more information, not a whole lot about Enoch, but just enough for us to understand how this man's life and his faith was included on this amazing list of giants of the faith. So in order to see that, if you want to take your Bible and go over to the first book in the Old Testament, Genesis, or you can see it on the screen, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 5. Now, how many of you, I'm just curious, you raise your hand, how many of you are into your ancestry? Like you're on Ancestry.com, you're tracing it, you're doing the whole thing. 
I love tracing ancestry. So a lot of times when we go somewhere, uh, if we're certainly near somewhere where, where my people are from, I'll get out, we'll park, and Amy will walk through, we walk through graveyards together, taking pictures of, of tombstones because I see dead people. So I, um, I'm just, I just love that whole history, and I'm more into the kind of the behaviors and people and, you know, all that stuff, why people tick the way they do and this and that. But it's one of my favorite hobbies. Well, in Genesis 5, Moses actually gives us a genealogy of Adam all the way to Noah, And if you look at this list, here's what you need to note, okay? That after Abel died, remember last week we talked about Cain and Abel, but after Abel died when Adam was about 130 years old, God gave he and Eve a son by the name of Seth. Seth's lineage would lead us all the way to Noah, and then Noah's son Shem would lead us to Abraham, who would lead us to David, and then from David's two sons, and he had a bunch of kids, but two sons, we have two lines of ancestors that would lead us directly to Jesus. Isn't that cool? Joseph's lineage comes from David's son Solomon. That's recorded in the book of Matthew. Mary's lineage comes from David's son Nathan, and that's recorded in the book of Luke. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, we see that from the lineage of Adam and Eve's son Seth, we see a man named Enoch. Now I want you to listen to how Genesis describes the life of Enoch. And it's one of my favorite biographies in the whole Bible. Verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's it. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. All right? Walked with God and he was not. Now this man must have had some kind of walk with God. Okay? I mean, he walked with God in a way that no one else was walking. Well, I want to dig into that word walk for just a moment because I think it's important because we use that walk in a lot of different ways. The word walk here is a biblical expression for a fellowship and obedience that is so powerful that it results in divine favor, all right? It's a walk. I mean, it's so, the fellowship is so amazing with God. The obedience is just spot on. It just results in a, in a divine favor with God. In other words, Enoch lived his life in such close fellowship and obedience to God that it pleased God. Enoch's, Enoch's faith pleased God so much that as a reward, he reached down from heaven when Enoch had just reached the young, tender age of 365 years old and basically snatched him off the earth and took him up to heaven. He walked with God and then he wasn't. That's it. It was a walk of God that was so pleasing That 4,000 plus years later, the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to include his name in a list of men and women whose defining moments exemplified the very definition of faith. In other words, this is a man that lived his life by faith. And what is faith? Faith is this. We we go back to verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Faith is assurance and conviction in a God that is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. It's believing in God when you can't see him. It is trusting when you can't feel it. It is walking when you don't know exactly where that next step's gonna take you. What made Enoch's faith so unique that it actually pleased God? What, what, What was it? Well, first of all, we need to realize that Enoch walked with God during a very wicked, perverse time. Enoch lived in the closing generations before Noah and the flood. The lifespan of the average person back at that, that time was much, much greater, okay, during that time frame, before the flood. 
However, if you look over in Genesis chapter 6, Moses describes this time period with words like wicked, depraved, evil, violent. We see that fallen angels were having children with human women and were producing something called a Nephilim. A Nephilim were giants with these superhuman abilities that that did extremely evil things on the earth. And in Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that when God looked down upon creation, he looked down upon the earth, and he saw the extent of the sinfulness and the wickedness of people, it literally broke his heart. Things were so bad that God described, decided to, to flood the earth and to destroy every living thing except for Noah, Noah's wife, their three sons, their wives, and then a pair of every kind of animal. Now, if you saw a few years ago the Hollywood movie that came out about Noah, I want you to take all of that image out of your mind. because That was just a bad movie, okay? Okay, the Nephilim were not giant rock people, okay? They were, they were, they were, they were probably beautiful beings. Right? These were fallen angels that had children with beautiful women. That's how, what's described in chapter 6. And, and Noah was not an unstable psycho like the movie depicts. The the Bible says that he was actually the only righteous, blameless man that God could find in all of creation at that point. And so all of that gives us a picture of the depth of depravity and the height of the wickedness that the world had reached during this time period. And so three generations before Noah, in chapter 5, it tells us two times that Noah's great-great-grandfather, Enoch, walked in close fellowship with God. Now, imagine how hard it would have been to walk closely with God during a a time like this. Imagine the scorn and the ridicule that you would have been experiencing during this time frame. And apparently, think about this, you're the only one that's walking with God. The only one. There's no, there's not a copy of the Bible at this point to, you know, to get you through some tough moments, to lean into God's promises. There's not a weekly Sunday church service so you can come and get your spiritual tank filled. There were no pastors or priests to sit down and pour your heart out to. There was no small group meetings in people's homes for, you know, fellowship and support. There were no men and women's Bible studies or groups for accountability and growth. There was just One man who stood out to God because amidst the sin and the wickedness of the time, he chose to live by faith and walk in close fellowship with God. He believed in God when he couldn't see him. He he trusted when he couldn't feel it. And he walked forward. He took steps of faith when he didn't know where they were going to land because he trusted in God. He walked by faith. He also chose to raise godly children when ungodliness was the norm. Now listen, we don't know a whole lot about Enoch, but what we do know speaks volumes about his life. This is a man that raised godly children when no one else was doing it. He had a son by the name Methuselah. Methuselah had a son named Lemek. Lemek had a son named Noah. Now here's what you won't find in the Guinness Book of World Records, okay? Methuselah lived to be 969 years old, all right? He is the oldest man to have ever lived. Remember, before the flood, people lived longer, but Methuselah outlived all of them. Now, I want to point out something interesting about Enoch and the birth of his son, Methuselah. And this is one of those moments where you read in the Bible and you read something and you just kind of go right over it, okay? This is a hidden, defining moment in Enoch's life. If you look in verse 21, and I'm going to read this in the New American Standard because 
it, it's, it's, it's a very close version to the original, the original Hebrew, okay? Enoch lived 65 years, and he then became the father of Methuselah. Then, and that's an important word right there, then Enoch walked with God 300, year, 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. Let me explain that. So Enoch had Methuselah when he was 65 years old. Enoch lived to be 365 years old. But for 300 of those 365 years, he chose to live his life in close fellowship and obedience to God during a time when no one else was doing that and no one else was raising their children to follow God. We don't, we don't, we don't have a story behind the story that tells us the exact moment when Enos, uh, Enoch decided to put his faith in God and then to start walking with him. But in verse 22, it says that it happened after he became the father of Methuselah. Now, I've seen this scenario play out many, 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 many times in the past. Here's a young man, young woman, either grows up in church and at some point develops a relationship with God, or they have no relationship with God. They're not in church, all right? And they, they go off into the workplace or they go off to college and they start partying, partying, partying like it's 1999. And then they meet someone, they fall in love, they get married, still far, far away from God, and then something happens. They have a child. Precious little Methuselah comes into their life. And all of a sudden, the world looks very different, doesn't it? All of a sudden, that couple, they're watching TV, and there's that little boy, little girl watching, and all of a sudden, they start noticing crude things on TV that they didn't notice before. The vulgar lyrics to to all the songs they've been playing for all of the years, all of a sudden, they start becoming an issue because in the back seat of the minivan, little Methuselah is singing the lyrics. And you're going, where did you learn that? I'm listening to the radio. Listen to what you're listening to. And all of a sudden, one day, the light goes on when they've seen and heard enough and they go to their husband, they go to their wife, and they say, listen, we need to get our family in church. We, 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 we need to get our kids knowing about God. We want them to grow up to know about God. You say, what's happening? Well, the Holy Spirit has drawn this husband or this wife to God by making him or her aware of the sinfulness, not only in their own life, but also in, in society. Because now, now someone that they love more than themselves, their kids are being negatively impacted by it, Right? It happens over and over and over again. I see it all the time, and it appears that this is what happened to Enoch. Staring at this little baby, he became aware of all the evil, all the ungodliness in society and in his own life. And by faith, he turned his life over to God, and he decided to raise his children to love God when he was the only one doing it. And it made an impression on God. Now, some of you have come to faith when, when your kids were older and because of the, maybe the way you lived before to the fact you didn't have them in church or whatever that looks like, you're looking at them now and you're realizing they're, they're not walking with God at the moment and you're just going, what do I do about this? Or, or maybe you've raised your kids to love God in an early age, but all of a sudden once they left your house and went off to college or whatever, they got caught up in the world and now they're living far, far away from God. I want to give you a couple things. The story is not over. The story's not over in your kid's life. It's not over in your life. God is faithful 
and his promises for you and your children can still be trusted. He is still chasing your son. He is still chasing your daughter like the one sheep that has left the 99. But I want to encourage you this way, okay? Don't, don't nag and guilt your kids back to God. You keep praying for them. You keep loving them. And you show them a mom or dad that walks closely with God. You father, you mother, those kids, like God fathers and mothers us. How does he do that? With a relationship that's built out of love. What about truth? Speak honest, but listen, how does God chase us down? How does he come with love and with grace? You're never too old also. You're never too old to instill godly values into the lives of your kids or your grandkids. We, we don't know if Enoch had children before Methuselah. It's possible he did, but he didn't start walking with God until he was 65 years old. And so for 300 years, he raised his children and then his grandchildren to love God. And here's just one more thing. If you've messed up your life and it's impacted your kids and their walk with God, it is not too late to turn those things around. It is never, ever too late for you to turn your life around and then you just let God work out the rest. It's not too late. God's still on the throne. He's still faithful. But but we live in a society, listen, we're raising children to live by faith and to follow God is not the norm and at times, it's going to feel very lonely out there. And you're going to make some decisions as you move forward that are going to be unpopular, even with your kids. But this is a faith that steps out and chooses to please the heart of God instead of pleasing other people. Now, I want to mention the third thing about Enoch's faith, because, and it's, it's just cool. He made his life about God, and then he disappeared. Back in 2002, uh, I was at a, a conference in California listening to Max Lucado preach about Moses encountering God through a burning bush moment on the top of Mount Sinai. And the whole message was all about living for God and his purposes and his, his glory alone. And he made a statement that just rocked my world when it came out of his mouth. I wrote it down and, it, and, it, and I've never forgotten it. It literally, this statement and this message not only reshaped the mission statement of my own ministry in life, but it then became part of how we did ministry here at Westridge. I mean, church planting, the way we did missions, the way we did outreach, so much of it was changed by this moment in my life. And here's what Max Lucado said. He said, God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. Now, if you remember that story, then you might remember we actually had some T-shirts made that said, it's not about me. And people wore those all over the place, and they, I think they turned out to be some great opportunities to share Christ with people. But you may be thinking, well, listen, well, if, if it's not about me, if it's not about us, then what is it about? Well, life and everything in this life is all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his purposes and his glory. And it's a tough principle to live by when we are wired for attention. We're, we are wired with the need to have attention and to make everything about us. We, we come out of the womb, right? Needing, right? Yesterday, I actually listened to a uh, sermon by Doc, Dr. Martin Luther King called The Drum Major Instinct. 
And here's what he said. He said, he said that, that deep within all of us is a desire to be out front, a desire to lead the parade, a desire to be first, a desire to be praised, a desire to be recognized for our accomplishments. And it runs throughout our whole lives. It's the drum major instinct. Now, he said that on February 16th, 1968. Think about how much has changed in our world in just the last 51 years. We still have inside of us that, that drum major instinct, all right? But now, now we have tools to feed that instinct. And it, I mean, they're right in our hands every day. We, we've got this device linked up to social media where we can, do, we can grab all the attention we want. But studies show that the more we feed that instinct, the more discontent and unhappier we become. The more that we speak in and feed that beast inside of us, the more insecure we, be, we become. The more we look at it, the more we feed it, the more we po- And yet, we all know, in today's world, if you're going to get someone to notice something that you have, you have to figure out how to market it in a world where everything seems to compete with the message that you're out there trying to put out there. I mean, you've got to figure out how do, how do I get the message out there? How do I move it? You know, how do I promote whatever it is that we're promoting out there in a world that where just messages are coming from all over the place? And it creates quite a tension inside of us, doesn't it? Especially if you're a Christian. Especially if you're in the church. Especially if God wired you to be a promoter. All right, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Just the way you're wired. So how can we promote what God is doing without sliding into a shadow mission of promoting ourselves? How can we celebrate what's happening in the lives of our, of our kids and in our own lives without, without secretly trying to make everything about us? How can we make our lives all about making much of Jesus, making much of God, in, instead of feeding that instinct inside of us to make much of us? Well, I remember years and years ago, I was at a conference. It was actually a, a Promise Keepers rally, and I can't remember which one it was, but it's a pastor by the name of Joseph Garlington. And I remember him giving this little formula on how to make your life about walking with God and glorifying him instead of yourself. And here's what he said. He said, you need to stay close, stay small, stay out of the way, stay out of the limelight, stay childlike, stay in awe, stay broken, stay in step, and then stay wasn't. Now, I remember when he said that last one, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand all of that. I understand everything else you just said, but, but, but that last thing it makes no sense. And then he brought up our man Enoch. Genesis 5.22, Enoch walked with God and he wasn't. By faith, Enoch was able to walk in such close fellowship with God and to raise godly children in a very corrupt, depraved, godless society and then somehow not make it all about him. He was able to stay close, stay small, stay out of the way, stay out of the limelight, stay childlike, stay in awe, stay broken, stay step with, in step with God in such a way that what we remember most about him is the fact that he wasn't. He wasn't. And God said, that's a, that's, that's a faith that pleases me right there. And then he did something else. He spoke out for God in the face of guaranteed criticism. You say, where do you get that from? Well, in Jude chapter 1, verse 14, Jude, the man that wrote one chapter, here's what Jude records about Enoch. 
In Jude 1.14, it says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, that's some strong words. But think about this. Before the nation of Israel, before the law, before Jesus, before the cross, before the resurrection, in the midst of a level of evil and depravity that made God want to push the reset button with a flood like the world has never seen before and hasn't seen since, Enoch stood up and preached to his generation about the coming judgment of God. And listen, he wasn't preaching about a flood coming. He was preaching about the second coming of Jesus. Think about that. Here's a man before the law, before Israel. He's preaching about the second coming of Jesus. Listen, this was a man that walked with God at a whole nother level right there, okay? To have that kind of insight. For God to be speaking to him at this moment like that. Enoch's faith, which kept him in step with God and completely out of step with his generation, pleased God so much that he was taken from the earth before the flood and before death. His his faith pleased God so much that God included his defining moment in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Now the writer of Hebrews says something that is very pointed and very powerful after he mentions the faith of Enoch. And here's what he says, and you you have probably heard this before. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. Now, before I talk about how to have that kind of faith, I think it's really important to talk about context for a moment, okay? Because honest truth, you can take pretty much any verse, a lot of verses, pull them out, put them out there, make them mean what you want them to mean. It's one of those verses where you probably could do that. But remember this, the writer of Hebrews is not writing this letter to non-Christians hoping that they will come to God for salvation. He is writing to Christians who have already received salvation. Okay? So he is not talking about saving faith. Remember, when we receive salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone, our position with God changes from unpleasable to pleased. We have been made right in his sight because of what Jesus has done for us. The moment you become a Christian, God puts his stamp of approval on you, pleased because of Jesus. So what's going on here in this verse? Well, this is where context is important. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging these first century Christians who are being persecuted for their faith, who are going through in living in wicked, evil times, he's saying, listen, don't bail on God. Instead, consider the faith of a man like Enoch who endured maybe the most wicked, vile, corrupt time in our world's history and yet by faith, he chose to walk closely with God. And God says, not only was this man's faith pleasing to me, but he says it's actually impossible to please me without this kind of faith. Not only was I pleased by Enoch's faith, but it's actually impossible to please me without this kind of faith. Now, honestly, that should create a little bit of tension in all of us this morning. That should create a little bit of conflict in all of our hearts. We we should be asking the question right now, do I live my life 
the day-to-day of my life with a faith that pleases God. Because if God says it's impossible to please him without that kind of faith, then I need to know what to do because I want to live with that kind of faith. So Brian, tell me what it looks like. Well, here, here's how God says it, it, it's done. And this is where the rest of verse six comes into play. How can we have a faith that pleases God? Well, let me read this again. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, let me just break that verse down for you for just a moment, okay? Because this is the answer right here. A faith that actually pleases God is a faith that comes to him for everything. It comes to him for everything. Every day by faith, we choose to draw near to him, recognizing him as alone, as the great source of everything there is and everything we need. We come to him with open hands and an open heart with everything we have and we acknowledge him as the only one we need. And I want you to know something. He is not dodging us. He is not hiding himself from us. James chapter four, verse eight says that if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So I come to God. This is the faith that pleases God. This is Enoch faith. I come to him for everything. And then we believe that he is. We believe that he is. That means that when we come to him, we set aside our need to see with human eyes and touch with human hands. We replace the show me or prove it to me attitudes that exist in so many of us with attitudes of God, I trust you with faith. Lord, I'm coming to you with openness and trust because I believe you are. You are all knowing, you are all good, you are all powerful, you are all that you say that you are. You say, I am, that's everything I need. So I come to you for everything. I believe that you are, you are who you say you are. And then I trust you to keep your word. I trust you to keep your word. He's promised to reward those who seek him by believing in him and to to come by, and by coming to him by faith. We, by faith, we know that because of the very nature of God, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and because of the character of God, where he is faithful and true, we know that he's trustworthy. He can be trusted. Doesn't matter what you're dealing with, he can be trusted. We, we can depend on him completely. There's nothing that you're bringing to the table that is beyond his ability this morning. Therefore, we can live our lives trusting that he'll keep his word. Now, before I pray to close this sermon out, I want to tell you the tension that I feel here today. I was praying this morning about this service and the service before and the service after, and I was feeling tension around this word pleased, okay? Enoch's faith pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, knowing that God is pleased with me, because of what Jesus has accomplished for me through the work that he performed on my behalf, on your behalf, on the cross. And, and knowing that I did not have to work to gain that status. It is a gift of grace that is received when we put our faith and our trust alone in Jesus. Listen, I want you to know, here, here's the tension inside of me. Here's, here's the conflict inside of me because of where I come from. My tendency, if I heard a message like this, would be, okay, I gotta have a faith that pleases God. So I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna work harder. I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna stay up later. I'm gonna get up earlier. I'm gonna read my, I'm gonna do, pray more. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that because that's how I 
was raised, and that's how I'm wired. Walk with God better. Try harder at raising kids. Man, man, work hard at raising better kids. Make it less about me, more about Jesus. Preach harder about Jesus. But this message, all of it, is not about trying harder. It's about faith. And I know, listen, I know that faith without works is dead. I get it. Talked about that last week. But Enoch's name is not here because he tried harder, worked more for God than the rest of the culture he lived in. His name is here because of his faith. And remember, verse 1, faith is assurance and conviction in a God that is all-powerful, infinitely wise, and eternally trustworthy. It's believing in God when you can't see him when you can't see him working, you still believe. It is, it, is, it is trusting when everything, there's nothing inside of you that can feel it. You just, you just trust him. And it's walking when it's so cloudy and so dim and so dark in front of you that you don't know where your next step's gonna take, but you know his character, you know his ability, and you take that step anyways. Listen, God's not calling you this morning to do better, to work harder, to stay up later. He's saying, come to me for everything. Believe that I am and trust that I will keep my word. Have faith in who I am and my ability and my power and let your life flow out of that faith. Let, let your life, let your walk, let raising your kids, let how you live your life, that need for attention, that need to be liked, to be appreciated, to be pleased, let God take care of that. Let your ministry. Let your ministry flow out of that. You believe. You believe when you can't see him. You trust him when you can't feel it. You walk, you take a step when you're the only one doing it. That's the type of faith that gains God's, God's approval. Now, from a human perspective, that kind of faith may seem a bit risky or even reckless, but in reality, the risk, the risk is nothing because of the trustworthy character of God. Because of who he is, we can live lives of faith. We can raise godly children, even in an ungodly society. We, we, can, we, can, we can push away from the need for attention and recognition and live a life it's all about Jesus to put him on display and we can boldly proclaim Jesus when it seems like the rest of the world could care less. We can take bold steps of faith when he calls because we know that he will be there. Arms held open wide like a loving father who reaches out to catch a toddler right after they take the first step. So how's your faith? How's your faith? Do you come to him for everything, knowing that he's all you need? In him is everything all you need. Do you come to him for everything? Do you, do you believe that he is all that he says that he is? Do you believe everything he says about himself to the point that your life reflects that? Your, the way you raise your kids reflects that. Do you, and do you trust him to keep his word even when so much time goes by and so many things have happened that you're just going, God, I don't, I don't see it. God says, keep trusting. Keep trusting. My record is 100%. Never failed. It's not about trying harder. It's not about doing better. 
It's not about getting on a treadmill of performance. Jesus did all that. It's about faith. Coming to him with everything you need. He's a, he has everything. Believing in who he is, trusting him to keep his word. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Now, some of you are here today and you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus alone to be your savior, saving faith. And you are lost today. And God in his grace today offers you faith. He offers you salvation. He offers you a chance to be made right with God. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you a chance to be made whole, to go from death to life. If that's where you are today, would you pray with me? Say, Lord, at this very moment, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe with all that's inside of me at this moment that Jesus is the Son of God. I place all my faith and my trust in him alone. And I ask him to save me. What Jesus did for me on the cross was more than enough, Lord, I couldn't even attempt to earn what Jesus has done for me. So I place all my faith and all my trust in Jesus today. And by faith, I receive him into my life to be my savior. This is a gift, Lord, of grace that I don't deserve. And I ask you to come into my life at this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. You should look at me for just a moment. If you just, you just made that decision. I know this feels odd, kind of sounds odd, but it works. I want you to get out your phone. I want you to text this number. Text the word follow to 77453 or fill out your Get Connected card. Take it to the Help Center. We want to follow up with you to help you to take your next step of faith in walking with Jesus. God's looking for some more Enochs out there. It's not about going out there and trying harder, right? Doing better, trying to gain more approval. You're like, well, maybe I'll be taken up before before I die. Probably not. But wouldn't you just like to go? Wouldn't you just like to know because of your faith, just because of you just believe God, you took him at his word, very childlike that God just looked down and said, I'm pleased with that kind of faith. I like that. That would be enough for me. I hope it would be enough for you.